Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host, and if this is your first listen to the podcast, you might have found me because it's currently National Fertility Awareness Week in the UK, and there's lots of noise on social media, quite rightly so, about fertility-related topics. Well, a little bit about me. I launched this podcast in 2014, once successfully pregnant after treatment, and I've spent the last three and a bit years now speaking to fertility experts and people sharing their stories just to help you if you found yourself in this world feeling overwhelmed not quite knowing what information to consume when there's so much this is I hope you'll agree a trusted and friendly voice to guide you through your journey there's all sorts of different experiences you'll hear from people as well as like I said expert opinion now I am no expert I am someone who has experienced treatment and has now spoken to a lot of people in the fertility world so I guess I know lots of different bits about a lot of different things but this isn't medical advice This is one friend to another, just hopefully making you feel less alone. Now, as I mentioned, in the UK, it's National Fertility Awareness Week. I'm putting this episode out on the 30th of October 2017, in case you're listening in the future. And what I'm going to do this week is share a couple of stories of people who I've spoken to who are still on their journey. And it is always hard to hear when people have had failed cycles. You yourself might have just had some bad news. And again, the point of this is not to make you feel depressed in any way. It's possibly to give you some things to relate to. There may be some advice that you can gain from this. So keep an open mind as you listen to these episodes. And I really hope they're useful. All the information about anything that's mentioned will, of course, be at the end of the episode. So I'm now going to welcome uh, Jen to the podcast. Jen tweets at Hoping TTC, and we've been chatting about where she's at. She's a regular blogger, and I'll put all the details of her blog, Hoping Trying to Conceive, on the show notes. And we're going to talk a bit about Jen's journey so far. Welcome, Jen. How are you? Hi. Not too bad, thank you. Good. Well, there's lots to talk about, and I've seen numerous blog posts about different stages that you've uh, been sharing. And I want to start with just understanding what led you to to go and have those conversations how long had you been trying before you went and had more tests and found out that ultimately you needed to have fertility treatment I first came off the pill I think it was in October 2013 because I had a breakthrough bleed and we didn't plan on properly trying then but we weren't particularly careful and planned on trying in March 2014 which was after our supposedly at the time last big holiday before we hoped to have a child but it didn't quite go to plan I first sort of realized something obviously was up because once I came off the pill in October I didn't then have a another period I think until the following May and then after that my next one I think was January so they were very very irregular so obviously that made it difficult to track ovulation and anything really and to time things that whole year I think we went through just trying trying to sort of track but obviously I was going months without periods then I think in the December of 2014 I hadn't had a period for several months and I wasn't feeling great I wasn't feeling myself I had the sore boobs and just just what I was hoping to be um pregnancy symptoms um I did home pregnancy tests um but nothing so went to the doctors um described all my symptoms um, and they did a blood test to see if I was pregnant. But as far as I'm aware, that was the only thing they tested for. 
um, that came back negative. And then a couple of days later, I actually did start my period. So that was obviously probably what the symptoms were I fe- was feeling. But then, it's such a long time since you'd had one. Yeah. Almost, not, not that you forget, but you just assume it Well, yeah, be that. exactly. And that wasn't what was on my mind because, like I say, it was such a long time. And then I did start to then be having periods. They, they weren't regular. They were, I suppose a good sort of 10 15 days irregular if that makes sense so it could be a 28 day one month and then the next day it could be 40 50 days so there was no regularity to it so again it made it difficult to track I tried using like ovulation sticks but never really got a positive and then I think I went to the doctor's sort of the spring I think of that year um but they wouldn't investigate anything because we hadn't been trying for two years really? however yeah even with all those symptoms they wouldn't refer us anywhere how old so, are you Jen mate do you mind me asking I'll be 31 next week so because you were under 35 it was two years rather than a year I think yeah yeah possibly and they didn't seem hugely concerned but I did sort of put it on a little bit and say that I was experiencing really painful periods when I were having them which I was but I kind of I suppose made it out worse and it was to just try and get some sort of investigations and there was no Um, discussion at this point about PCOS no nothing at all though in the back of my mind I was kind of thinking probably along those lines or maybe endometriosis something like that because obviously like you do you do start to google things don't you when you're experiencing things and you want answers and nobody's giving them to you the doctor then did eventually agree to me going for a scan because of the periods so I went for a scan and straight away the person the sonographer they were absolutely lovely the people that I saw that time um, and they said it looks very very character- characteristic of polycystic ovaries my left ovary in particular was quite enlarged they, they said you can see the string of pearls that's the uh, um, sort of terminology they use that's the, the classic sign of polycystic ovaries however they did say it needs to be confirmed with a blood test which I had and again it was definitely polycystic ovaries but we still hadn't hit the two-year mark uh, but it was coming up to that so the doctor said that they wouldn't refer to the clinic yet however they would put my husband forward for semen analysis just in preparation so he went and had that or did that did the two samples that he needed to do and when we went back to the GP was told that actually his um, sperm count was really high so nothing to worry about there so he then of course was like walking on air thought he was the man as men do chest puffed out not <laughs> yeah. really no problem with yeah. me yeah and then um, he was very supportive of sure. me but was obviously very very pleased that he was fine and more than fine he had a really high sperm count so we thought at that time um, so the doctor then did say now they've got all that because that's what the um, clinic would want they would sort of hold it off a bit and then once it gets near the two years would send it all off which they did so then that would have been October 2015 and we actually had a appointment relatively quick with the clinic which was quite good one up and saw them and then had a massive bombshell hit actually my husband's sperm count wasn't great at all well his sperm count was high however they didn't look into it any further than that and his motility um, morphology I think it is yeah um were both really low so obviously that hit us pretty hard and hit him extremely hard because he obviously he's a man and <laughs> it's his manhood he obviously was told one thing and then to be told something completely different and I just want to stop you there because you've you've hinted at the way that you've been dealt with um not being ideal later in your blogs which I'm sure we'll get to how was that information given to him 
it was very matter of fact really it wasn't there wasn't any sort of compassion with it at all it was just kind of this is the fact she gave him some dietary advice I think he was slightly overweight so he was told to lose weight and also told to take selenium I can't remember what other vitamins a couple of vitamins he was told to take and that was pretty much it there was no investigations at all for him no suggestion um, of any further investigation Sorry. no no nothing at all no examinations nothing. which and actually after listening to some of your previous podcasts sounds like it's actually not that unusual yeah. for the man Sadly. to yeah and we have recently actually we have asked could he have some sort of investigations and stupidly this is why i've started blogging more because i can't remember what we were actually told but we were pretty much fobbed off and told not to worry about it like they they won't investigate it on the nhs i can't remember the reasons why so this is one of the reasons why i started blogging more so i can document everything yeah and remember it all at that point with what your husband has been told and knowing that you're probably having to manage pcos had there been any protocols suggested to you were you told that you probably will need icsi were you told that you will definitely need IVF what's been said no at this point we were told I was going to have to go for the HSG examination to check if my um, fallopian tubes were okay and if they yes this was still very early this was our I think our first consultation and if that was all fine with the PCOS I would then go on to metformin and Clomid and then go from there nothing ever was mentioned at all about IVF or ICSI so then we were just sent away I think again just we were given very minimal dietary advice not not much at all but just vitamins and sort of weight really and to have the HSG I had to wait for my next period and I had to have the HSG within 10 days of my start date of the period but I'd also had to have stopped bleeding which my cycles I could sort of bleed sometimes for three days it could be for eight or nine so it was really tricky so you had to ring the clinic on the first day and every time I had a period and bear in mind mine were quite irregular as well so I had to wait sometimes quite a while um I would ring the clinic and because they only did the scan on certain days and I didn't ever fit in or they were having training days so I couldn't go and have it so I ended up I think waiting five months for it so again that was more sort of waiting and I'd always again sort of suspected because ever well ever since having the initial scan that something may have possibly be wrong my left side because I if ever I presume it was when I ovulated from that side that was when I had the horrendously painful period and when I did go for the scan they did find out that my left tube was blocked but again they didn't tell me that at the actual scan um it was a an appointment a couple weeks later and that was when we were told actually we couldn't have any medications we would have to go straight to ICSI and they wouldn't do IVF because of my husband's sperm it had to be ICSI so it was the first time that we were told that and again, how do you feel you were told? Again, it was it's always been very matter of fact, very and very minimal information as well. It was just this is what's going to happen. It was very paternalistic. There was no how do you feel about that? There was no these are the possible options, these are the possible outcomes, these are the risks, these are the side effects. It was just this is what's going to happen. Were you eligible then for several rounds of funding from the NHS or was it just one what do you what have you been told with my particular CCG it's just the one round but you then get another chance at frozen transfer okay basically what it is is one whole round so one egg collection and then two transfers so whether that's one fresh transfer and one frozen or right. two frozen so for me I've 
got the, this is my first of two attempts at a frozen transfer. I'm just in the process of down-regulating and doing all the drugs in preparation for my first frozen transfer. So let's just go back to, you, you've been told it's ICSI. Were you talked uh, to about the success rates of ICSI at all? Not at that precise moment. We were told we would be going in the batch, which I hate that terminology. Some of the terminology is just awful. And um, we're going to be put into the batch in August. I've never heard that. Have you not? Oh, that's, one, that's what our clinic calls each sort of round they put people into batches i think it's for their convenience so that they can staff properly so they try and get people so that everybody would be sort of ready in the same sort of week so that they've got the right amount of staff yeah i just think it's such an awful terminology i don't like it at all no it's it does doesn't it it's not very nice right so you're in your batch ready to be farmed yes pretty much (laughs) i know we're laughing when it's not a laughing matter but it's kind of all all you can do you kind of have to don't you you have to yeah we were sent away and told that we would then get a load of information through the post to then read and then we would go up for a consenting appointment so then we waited and it was a good couple of weeks I think before everything came through and it was like literally like a book lots of paperwork yeah yeah you're kind of left to kind of go through yourself which we did and fortunately this is where I kind of one of the issues I have as well like we're reasonably well educated and able to understand it and to go through it and to sort of take ownership ourselves and research stuff whereas obviously there are some people that wouldn't necessarily be able to do that and would just fully trust the clinic which you should be able to do but I just didn't feel it was very well guided so we had all all that information then we had to go up for our consenting appointment which was about probably it was about an hour's long appointment where we had to sit through a powerpoint with the nurse who literally just kind of flipped through everything um but it was very just in your face, very medicalized. I say very paternalistic. It wasn't. It wasn't very individual or very holistic to the patient. Right. You had to sit and watch a PowerPoint, like just you two and the nurse. And that was our consenting appointment. So that's when they sort of tell you about the success rates, um, some of the risks. They did talk quite a bit about the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome because they did know that that would be quite high risk for me because of my polycystic ovaries and also I've got really high um, AMH levels so which then obviously again increases the risk so that was the main thing that they did sort of home into us was that risk but otherwise not a huge amount so then you do all the signing and then what kind of periods did you have to wait until things started? I mean, I, I guess you're in that situation. You told the risk, but you want to go ahead with this anyway. And you feel that, you know, you're in the right hands. You're in the right place. What what are your options? And I'm assuming that the information was that whilst you're at risk, they will monitor you and ensure that. Well, you told you would have to have more scans. Yes. Yeah, I think I did have another scan prior everything just to kind of check everything was okay or like okay enough to have the treatment. And then once we started the protocol, then we were explained that we would then have scans regularly to check how the follicles are and to check how I was. And as far as the discussions about the stimulation drugs, was there any conversation, and I'm no expert, so I might not be talking about this in the correct way, but in my world, having learnt about natural, um, mild IVF, when I recently just was typing up my journal of my own journey and, and was so amazed that actually for 30 days I was taking drugs, was there any discussion about the length of the protocol being any shorter because you being at risk? I don't know, and if I've got any medics listening, they might be 
shaking their head at me that might not work no there wasn't not the first time I don't believe but the second time and the third time actually and this time with the FET they've put me on the long protocol because they wanted to do it slower because that reduces the risk I believe but the first time I think I was just on a not a regular protocol because they wouldn't initially they wouldn't give me buceralin because that increases the risks they put me on I think it was cetratide which that wasn't a hugely long protocol the last couple of times I've definitely been on a much longer one. Okay so we've started the treatment and um when we chatted before um, we actually started recording, you mentioned that you'd not actually completed a cycle. So talk me through what happened. Okay, so the first time, so it was end of July that we actually started the um, process um, into the beginning of August. And I was very naive then. I'd done sort of a little bit of research, but not hugely. I was kind of much more trusting in the clinic back then and just kind of assumed that we would just make it right through to egg collection. I always had in the back of my mind that actually once we had the transfer, it may or may not work. But never did I think that the protocol would get stopped. And, um, well, they don't call it stopping. They call it abandoning the cycle, which, again, is another terminology which I just think is awful. It just completely sounds like you're giving up and running away. But that's what they call it. Um, But we were never ever explained to that that could happen either that things may go wrong um before egg collection or just not necessarily go wrong but just not be working as they would hope so they abandon that was never ever explained to us so when they when that did happen it was a bit of a shock and again it wasn't explained to us that if they did abandon that was okay we would still be able to have another attempt on the nhs so when when they did abandon, that happened on a Friday. So we I think we went up to Piscans every three or four days. Um, and the first one, I stimulated really well. So I think they slowed things down a little bit. And then nothing, I didn't stimulate on the next two or three, I believe it was. Um, so on the Friday, we went up there and I hadn't um, grown any more follicles. So they decided to abandon but we were just told oh, to go home um, and a way to call um, to find out sort of what the next steps were. So we went home on that Friday, had the phone call to say that we needed to come in on the Monday to see the consultant. But that was it. So we spent that whole weekend like just absolutely distraught, like just wondering what on earth was going to happen now, thinking that that was it now. That was our one NHS try didn't realise that actually the NHS try is all the way to egg collection. So that was pretty awful. Okay. Anybody listening, your your, your hindsight wisdom would be uh, ask, ask the questions. And I try to say this all the time. Keep asking. If you're not sure at that point in that phone call, if you'd have had a little voice in your head saying, ask if that's it, then you wouldn't have spent the weekend like that and it would have been a much easier Monday morning journey into the clinic. Yeah, definitely. And I uh, still now I always think, God, I always come out of appointments thinking, why didn't I ask that? Once you're in that moment, you're on that phone call or you're in that appointment, your mind just goes completely blank, especially when you hear something you're not quite expecting. It just totally. Yeah. And especially when they're not very forthcoming with information either. And uh, all, all of this that we've talked about so far, you've stuck at the same clinic. Yes, we have. Unfortunately, we're in quite a rural area. So we only have the one clinic. The next clinic is probably a good 
60, 70 miles away. And in your heart of hearts, would you have gone somewhere else by this point if you could have? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you go back and you find out that actually you're still eligible for another go because you haven't finished this round. And so what time frame are we talking about that you're going to wait so that so that was beginning of August so we had to wait until then November then to start the next treatment and how how are the two of you at this point as far as talking about it trying to live your life get on with things are you getting any counselling is there anybody else that you can get support from um no we've not had any counselling at all both of us have quite a few good solid friends and I've got my sister who's amazing um so we are quite lucky in that way that we've got people around us anyway so november comes and we start treatment again do we yes we do and this time they gave me down regulation drug called decapeptal which is once a month im injection and that really really affected me i got all the menopausal symptoms i had horrendous hot flashes became very depressed and very emotional which isn't me at all i'm quite a positive upbeat sort of person so it was quite a shock for people around me to sort of see me like that this time I think the decapeptal probably worked too well in that I didn't stimulate very much at all I only actually produced two reasonably good follicles so again they abandoned but offered us IUI but unfortunately our clinic didn't do that on the NHS so if we wanted it we had to pay the thousand pounds but we were told this on the Monday but we had to make the decision right there and then on the Monday because the follicles were at that right size and if we didn't do it we would lose them my goodness yeah so we had to make a decision then because I would have to do the trigger shot that night to come back in on the Wednesday for the IUI so we were given like half an hour to just whip outside and talk in the corridor just the two of us and come back in and decide but again we were given information then at that time but it wasn't enough time to digest it to look into it i I hadn't really looked into IUI very much at all because obviously it never really been an option for us so there was no need to really research on it and again we were never told at any point that potentially there could be that option that things could transform into that and I think if we had and had given like proper information and time to digest it we might not have done it because actually it didn't work um and afterwards looking into it the actual the reason they don't do it on the NHS in that clinic um, is because the success rates are so low so oh my goodness so frustrating yeah so you've you've blown a thousand pounds some might say you're going to try whatever you can and of course understand that but that seems pretty unfair to have not had all the facts yeah I guess you couldn't have more time but like you say to have been told that earlier on in the in the whole system did you challenge why you were told to do that after it hadn't worked I suppose it was pointless yeah no we didn't we again we kind of thought about it should we shouldn't we and we thought about several times about complaining about several things but I think because we're in it right now it's just kind of like oh do we really want to go down that road we're going to come back to Jen in a moment because I want you to hear a little note from my sponsors and if you're listening and would like to find out more about sponsoring the fertility podcast just email natalie at the fertilitypodcast.com the fertility podcast is supported by ovusense if you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming ovusense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device It has a vaginal sensor and app and fits like a tampon, so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. Now, you use it at night while you sleep, and then in the morning, you simply remove, wash it, and download your data to see your cycle pattern. 
Now, OviSense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit ovisense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey. And you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk. Now, I know how daunting it is finding out information about fertility issues. So I wanted to tell you about The Fertility Show. It's on the 4th and 5th of November at London's Olympia and is open to anyone wanting to start or extend their family. You can meet experts face-to-face at the exhibition or attend one of the brilliant seminars by a leading fertility specialist. Visit thefertilityshow.co.uk for more information. Well, one thing that you can do, um, which I'll remind you of later, is that on the HFEA's website, you can give feedback on your clinic. So you don't have to view it as a complaint, but as long as you've had treatment within a 12-month period, the HFEA are really keen, especially with their new website, to get patients' feedback. So that might be something to think about. Right, yes, definitely. Okay, yeah. All right, so we've had a failed IUI. We're a £1,000 down at this stage and probably feeling quite down in the heading towards Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, I think, when we did the negative pregnancy test after the two-week wait. So I had to go through the whole two-week wait after the IUI. That's like a whole other experience, which isn't very pleasant. So we had a very depressed, awful Christmas. And it was the first time my husband, it really hit him hard. I think... He he's brilliant and he's so supportive and all the way through he's been very positive and I think that's probably more for me as well he's trying to be the like we're both positive people but he's very positive and very looks on the lighter side of everything but at Christmas it really hit him so hard he was very emotional which I've never seen him like that before. And that really, really broke me to see him so broken. With this process that you're in, and you've talked about how information has been conveyed and so matter-of-fact often, how do you feel that you've kind of been handled now, looking back at it? Quite poorly, really, particularly with the clinic and my initial GP. Uh, I don't feel that we've had enough information. I think it feels very much like a convey about everyone sort of seen as a number. And in fact, on our protocol, when that gets sent through, it tells you what batch you are and what number you are. So you really are a number. You definitely feel like that. There's no compassion. It's very revolving. There, I mean, it's not everybody at the clinic. There are one or two nurses there, which are lovely. I suppose it's very normal to them because they deal with it all day, every day. And they kind of forget that actually this is people's lives. Um, and it's a huge deal to them. That's a really interesting point because I've visited lots of clinics and clinics that I've seen pride themselves on the personal service that they offer and they want to make each patient feel that they're with them and handhold as much as possible and be there at the end of the phone and have familiar faces each time you go in. Yet I hear time and time again from people how they feel just like you've described. Everybody that works in a fertility clinic knows that nobody wants to be walking through their doors, yet there's some gap here in how people are being treated still. And I think it probably is a, a lot the patients don't complain. Like I say, we keep thinking about it. We haven't done anything about it yet. But because you're so vulnerable in such an awful situation, you don't want to make it worse. You don't want to add extra stress. But actually, maybe we should. So are we still eligible for that completion of that first round? 
on the NHS. We are. It was February because it was Valentine's Day that we went up and had our appointment, which was also our seven-year wedding anniversary. So that was fun. (laughs) So that was when we went up to go and see the consultant to be told then that they would change my drugs around and they may have to use some sort of drugs that would potentially put me more at risk of the hypovarian syndrome. But if that happened, that would be okay because they would monitor me very closely and they obviously wouldn't let me go too far at risk. And, And they did prepare us then that it may well be that we would have a frozen transfer and we were then put in the next batch which was in May so it it did feel like a long time of waiting especially January felt very long because we obviously hadn't had the conversation with the consultants so we had no plan no idea of what was going to happen. And come May were you quite nervous because obviously you've been told that they're going to intentionally put you at risk? Yes yes I was especially when I had my protocol through and it had the drug brucerolin on it which I'd been told all along they wouldn't put me on because that was very high risk but I wasn't told initially which drug it would be so when I rang up the clinic they were just like oh yes two doctors have discussed you at an MDT and decided that that's the best way forward again it felt like I wasn't necessarily included in those conversations and it was just told that that's what was going to happen my husband was more so he was very nervous and a couple of friends were sort of did take me to the side and were like do you really want to go through this with those sorts of risks and had they talked to you about the worst case scenario and how they would manage it no not really they just they'd said that obviously there was the potential of going into the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome however they would closely monitor me and wouldn't let me get to the point where it became too dangerous gosh i just don't know how you get your head around something like that so how did you i don't know i think just because i suppose everybody going through infertility knows you really do do whatever it takes yeah so you just kind of push forward and I did sort of look into did a lot of research myself and a lot of blogging and the Twitter community I found very helpful there's obviously a lot of people on there that have been going through infertility for years so very experienced and whilst they may not be medical professionals they have a lot of information and a lot of useful knowledge and actually somebody suggested acupuncture so I I started that actually in January I think I got put forward to a Chinese acupuncturist and she is absolutely amazing she has helped me so much and actually I find I've had much more information from her um she's much more compassionate she seems to genuinely care she's very interested um she's just a, a much nicer caring person um and since seeing her I've been much more emotionally stable and much more positive and much more relaxed. And I'm sure that's had something to do with it. I'm a massive advocate of the holistic treatments and and especially acupuncture and how it can help, especially when it's stressful, but also with the healing aspects of of, what you're doing to your body. Um, So I'm really pleased to hear that. And um, I know that you had um, blogged about Emma Cannon, who I am a big fan of and have spoken to Emma on this podcast. And I'd used her books and had followed her recipes. And she's obviously a big fan of Western, Eastern kind of combined medicine from the acupuncture to the diet. And you'd, you'd written something about, I think you tweeted about the clinic saying that there wasn't much that you could do to help thicken your lining. And you'd, you'd put a picture up of a whole load of uh, ingredients, and I'm sure making some of Emma's recipes so yeah again from the information that you were given you know you're you're disagreeing with it because you're obviously looking elsewhere so so my womb lining isn't actually thickening as much as it should do with the uh, some on the estrogen pills um and it's 
they're not quite doing their job. And when I went to the clinic and they told me that, I sort of said, well, is there anything I can do to help myself? Is there any sort of foods I can eat? And was told no. However, Emma Cannon says otherwise. She has and several so books, some... not just one, <laughs> yeah. several books. Okay. Exactly. So um, I took it upon myself to educate myself and read books and tweet and Google. And I found a number of things that can help. So I've been religiously doing that over the last week. All right, well, we've jumped forward, so let's carry on as to where you're at um, now because you have been blogging and I will put links to more of your journey because I'm aware that we've been talking quite uh, meticulously about your journey for, for every single detail of it. And not that I don't want to, but I do want to get to where you're at. So we've been talking about getting your lining thicker and using Emma's recipes. Where are we? Because you've literally just had a treatment, haven't you? Yes. So... So back in May, they managed to get 23 follicles. 16 of those were eggs, and they managed to fertilize 15, which was brilliant. Wow. That was really successful. But I did go into the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, not hugely severely, but enough that they then weren't able to transfer, and they had to freeze my embryos. And I was quite sick for about two weeks. Were you hospitalised? I wasn't, fortunately. I did manage to stay at home, tempting to drink protein shakes, which were really gross. Just resting, paracetamol, and was okay. And you had to, I'm assuming, take take the time off work, though, for the two weeks? Yeah, I did. Yeah, literally, the night of the egg collection, I had to crawl up the stairs. I couldn't even stand. It was awful. But I did manage to get over that. So now we are at that point of hopefully transferring one of those embryos i'm on day 22 now of taking bucerolin again the drug that you were told could put you at risk yes that's right but seem to be okay with the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome at the minute i don't know how much i'm at risk for when i had the scan yesterday actually they did check my ovaries my ovaries were okay at that time each time nothing is ever straightforward with me, unfortunately. Considering, you know, the journey that you've had so far and the kind of extra stuff that you found out yourself, what, what would you say to anybody listening who might just be starting out or might have had some of the, some of the experiences that you've, you've talked about so far? What would your advice be? Definitely educate yourself. Do as much research as you can. Talk to people. Google. But obviously be aware of the sort of sources you're using and try and make sure they're of a good standard. I found Twitter hugely helpful. There's a lot of people on there all going for the same experiences. It's really difficult whilst you may have lots of good friends and family sometimes it's quite difficult to talk to them because they don't understand and that's no fault of their own you can't really understand the situation unless you're going through it yourself and that's where I think Twitter is quite helpful because there's a lot of people on there all going through those similar situations I guess it's kind of like a online support group because again unfortunately my clinic doesn't have a support group I think there are a lot of clinics that do so I think if people have that available to them, that would probably be quite helpful as well. Try and keep a positive attitude. It's really difficult. It's quite easy to let it all get on top of you and let it completely control your life. And you talked about your blogging and documents, documenting what's going on so that you don't forget. Are you finding it helpful? Because I know from the various bloggers I've spoke to how, how helpful it is. Yeah, massively. And it's just helpful just to vent as well and sometimes get those feelings out that you can't necessarily talk to people about because you'll sometimes if you say it out loud it sounds awful and people might become a bit concerned about you 
Well, let's just talk about one of your events, about that sonographer who you've described about her bedside manner being disgraceful and how the window and the blind was open. What happened? Oh, gosh, yeah, she's she is terrible. Unfortunately, I saw a different one yesterday, so that was nice but she has absolutely no compassion it's very robotic I think she's been there for a very long time and just just doesn't seem to have any idea on dignity we walked in and the window was wide open the blind was only open probably ajar um, but enough to make you feel vulnerable make you feel that people can see in and she just she stands there and waits for you to get undressed and doesn't give you any dignity at all well I will reiterate my points about there being the opportunity to give feedback on the HFEA's new website. So bear it in mind and um, do keep me posted. I'll be keeping tabs on on Twitter as to um, what you're sharing. And like I say, I'll put the details of your blog, hoping, trying to conceive on the show notes. And Jen, thank you so much for talking it through because I hope it's helped a bit for you. And I hope that whatever happens next is a positive outcome to what's been a lengthy journey so far. No, thank you. And thank you for doing your podcast and I found listening to the podcast actually it's only probably been the last month or so that I've discovered them through a friend who's actually just starting on the infertility journey but I found listening to the podcast hugely helpful thank you well that's what I hope to do so thank you for being a part of it and let's hope that together we can help somebody else as well because it's a it's a constant process and there are so many of us just affected in so many different ways so good luck and yeah fingers crossed everything crossed for you Jen. okay thank you very much you take care you too thank you so quite a detailed story there from Jen and the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash hoping ttc Now, I will put the details of Jen's blog on the show notes, of course, and she's been blogging since we've spoken about what's been going on with the frozen embryo transfer that she spoke about in our chat. So I suggest that you go and have a look and see where she's at, because her last entry was just yesterday, the day before this podcast episode is coming out, and... um, She's explaining everything that's going on in a lot of detail and we just wish Jen the best of luck in what happens next with this cycle. With it being National Fertility Awareness Week, do keep an eye on my social media at Fertility Poddy on Twitter and Instagram and my Facebook page is The Fertility Podcast because I'm going to be sharing lots more. If you're outside the UK, do get in touch. Let me know if you've got a fertility week happening and you want me to get involved helping raise awareness. My email is natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com which of course is also how you get in touch with me just to let me know your story and if you have a moment to go and rate and review this podcast it's available in itunes for you to do that and i've got a new website i've made all the different episodes hopefully much easier to work your way through you can sign up for my newsletter at thefertilitypodcast.com where you can also get links through to itunes everything that you should need is there And keep an eye on it because I've got some exciting developments coming on the website. I've teamed up with my friends at Dr Fertility to give you access to some of their products. So I'll let you know as soon as that's live. But do make sure you sign up on the website. And until the next time, take care.